You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Good morning, good morning. Um, as, um, as Nate said, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Um, there was this pastor I once heard, he said, open your Bible and we'll get there eventually. Um, just anywhere and we'll get there eventually. Basically, that's what we're going to be doing today. Open somewhere in the book of Luke and we'll probably talk about it at some point today. Um, Joe, um, he gave me, he's like, Marty, um, why don't you take the intro to the book of Luke? And I'm like, sure. And then he gave me four, like, look at these four verses. And you, the first four, and you're like, okay, what can I say about that? Well... We're going to see and hopefully get out of here um, in an hour or so. Uh, there's so much cool stuff in here. Um, so much cool stuff in here. So before we begin, uh, I'm going to pray so I can help focus myself. Um, they were the, uh, I'm not going to say who was laughing at me, but this morning when we were praying in the back, I said, God, help me not to get distracted by the shiny things in my mind. Um, when I'm up here speaking. Um, and I think we can all do that. Get distracted by the shiny things. That's me. So let's pray, uh, and then we'll get, get to looking at Luke together. Father, we thank you again just for this incredible time of music and worship that we've had um, already this morning. God, thank you for the honor and the privilege to, to share this passage, share the, this book um, with those that are here and those who are listening online or to the podcast later. Father, as we are looking at your words today, help us to have certainty on the things that we have been taught, and may we see see you richly today in, in this text. We love you, God, and in Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Well, like I said, we're going to be going, th- like, looking at a large portion of the book of Luke this morning. Um, and what's funny is if you were um, a child um, in like the 90s, 2000s, and we were homesick, you, you were, all of us pretty much hung out with our best friend, um, Bob Barker, and watched The Price is Right, okay? Um, we had some Sprite, maybe 7-Up, um, and saltine crackers. That was the cure. Well, and probably in between like um, Plinko and the big wheel, um, on those commercial breaks, we'd see a CD that was being advertised, and it was one of these CDs that were really common, they're still around, is, now that's what I call music, okay? Some of your parents probably have stacks of these or binders full of these, okay? Well, Christians are like, hey, this is a good idea. So then the Christians made their version, which was Wow Worship, okay? Um, 30 of the most powerful songs. And basically what they would do is they would take the best songs from albums, okay, best songs from a CD, and they compile it into one thing. So, I mean, we were going back to like the first ones. You got like Jars of Clay, Toby Mac, Michael W. Smith, all worshiping together on the same CD, okay? Um, this was, I mean, this was before Spotify. This was like LimeWire or uh, all those things where people were stealing music. Now at least, it was at least conveniently and packaged well, okay? before we started burning our own CDs. But it's, it's still around. I mean, uh, 2021, they still are making them, okay? Um, it's basically the K-Love of CDs, just the greatest things, okay? Um, with, and, and the nice thing with this, this is my joke and I'll keep going. The nice thing with this, you only pay once and they don't ask you for money every 30 days. Um, K-Love, okay. Now, <laughs> thank you, thank you, okay. So, 
in a way, this is kind of what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be, wow, um, looking at the book of Luke. We're going to be kind of looking at the greatest hits of Luke today and seeing as we're going to be investing in the next year, year and a half, um, as the Spirit leads in this book of Luke, like some things we get to look forward to and not just coming in like, and now we're in Luke chapter 7. Where were you last week? Luke chapter... Okay, no, like we're going to see some of the big things and what Luke is communicating here. Um, before we go on, um, down here in the front, we have some journal Bibles um, that are available. They're only $4. If you can't afford that, it's a gift. Uh, but it's basically they have big margins. You can take notes. If you have one already, you're going to like today. Okay. Uh, if not, you can be like my Bible and underline and highlight. So this series, we're calling it, you know, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is for all people. And by the end of today, by the end of today, I hope it's a little bit we were like, wow, worship. But like, wow! Now that's what I call the book of Luke, okay? Um, that took me longer to make than it should have. Um, wow, that's what I call Luke. At the end of today, that's, <laughs> that's what we will be, I hope we will say, okay? As we're looking through, yes, there's some cheeky little text down there. Um, so we're, as, the, as Maria says in The Sound of Music, let's start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. And as much have many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good for me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty... Concerning the things that you have been taught. Okay, so the Gospel of Luke, it starts out with Luke. Um, he's t- saying, I'm going to convey to you this very orderly narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Some translators take that word accomplished among us, and some of your Bibles may even say things that have been fulfilled among us. The things that have been completed or fulfilled among us. Um, and he's writing to this guy, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus shows up here, and then we see him in Luke, the sequel, also known as the book of Acts. Um, he writes to this guy, Theophilus. Theophilus was um, most likely a new believer. It seems like he was a Gentile believer, so he wasn't Jewish. He was an outsider that received the salvation. Um, and so Luke is like, Theophilus, uh, you've tasked me, you've given me this assignment, responsibility, and I want to show you a very orderly account that Jesus is who he says he is, that the things that he has done, that they really happened, the things that have been promised, Old Testament, have been fulfilled, and I'm going to do it in a very orderly manner. I'm going to do it in a very orderly manner. Now, each of the Gospels um, kind of show Jesus in a slightly different way, like, like turning that diamond and getting a little different look. Matthew is very much written to the, the Jews um, in the way that uh, the language Matthew used. Uh, Mark was probably written more to the Romans, showing Jesus as like this suffering king. John, it's, it's just for all people, really. And um, they say Luke is like for, to the Gentile, kind of the Greek believers. Um, and we'll highlight why um, as we go through it. But Luke is saying, I'm writing this gospel to you. I'm writing this letter to you, this account to you, Theophilus. And verse 4, that you may have certainty. 
That you may have certainty. There's a lot of stuff has been said about Jesus, probably some myths, some things have been made up. Like, there's probably a lot of stories. But he said, I'm, I've taken eyewitnesses' accounts, orderly, I've cross-referenced, I've investigated, and so that you can know for certain the things that have been accomplished. That you may have certainty concerning the things that have been accomplished, the things that you have been taught. And so he, he goes, again, like by eyewitness accounts, by investigating closely, um, he's taking great care. I mean, when you write a book that, um, that is 24 chapters long, conveying the life of a person, you're going, you, he's taking some care there. And he gives an orderly account, very much so. He starts with the birth and goes all the way up until um, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So he, like, we're getting the whole story of Jesus. And the book of Luke has some details in it that none of the other three Gospels have. That is just how deep Luke goes into it. Now, thinking, like, I like movies, I I enjoy theater, and so the book of Luke is kind of broken up into uh, acts or chapters, segments, if you will. And so the first two chapters, one and two, largely are talking about Jesus' birth, okay? Jesus' birth and all the accounts around that. The next chunk is kind of three through nine, and these, there's some wiggle room at the beginning ends of these. So, largely Jesus and his ministry, okay? Jesus and his ministry. We're going to go through and unpack all these and fly through them. Um, Jesus and his early ministry. The next one, 10 through 19, is roughly, uh, is roughly about Jesus on his road to Jerusalem. As he's traveling on the, through Galilee, through Judea, ultimately ending up in Jerusalem, and all the things that Jesus, Jesus does along the way. The last 19 through 24 is, takes place in a week. It takes place in a week. Jesus' final week in Jerusalem. And then there's a little bit at the end of 24. It's like the, uh, the ending of it, to the, and to be continued. And then we get to the book of Acts. So let's, uh, let's buckle up, let's dive into this together as we're going to be looking um, at these sections. So, uh, again, wow, this is what I call Luke. These are some of the greatest hits, some of the big things to be looking forward to as we're going through this book. Um, like I said, in um, Luke 1 and 2, we see um, Jesus' birth. And this is the most thorough account of Jesus' birth in any of, the, uh, in any of the Gospels. And so much so, it doesn't even start with Jesus' birth. It goes before, and we get John the Baptist. We get the birth of John the Baptist and the prophecy around it. We get, um, in Luke 1, um, 46, we get Mary's, um, the Magnificat, her celebration of, Oh, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And she goes on just this beautiful poetry. And, th- and we go through a little bit further and we see about Zechariah and, and how whenever he, <clears throat> whenever um, Zechariah, <clears throat> sorry, I, I'm going to grab a drink of water. Excuse me, I hope there's a bottle over here. There's not. It's okay, I'll make it. Um, as we go through... As we go through, then we get Zechariah, and we get his prophecy about how the Holy Spirit comes upon him um, as, as uh, John the Baptist is born. And then we get into chapter 2, um, into the birth of Jesus, and the shepherds and angels, and all those cool things. Shameless plug, on December 18th, we have our children's Christmas program, where we're going to see this beautifully played out um, through our children 
please, 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 please come and be a part of that. So the, so the uh, chapters 1 and 2 are Jesus' birth and all the wonderful prophecy and all the things that have been accomplished in an orderly way. Well, then we get to the, kind of the next big chapter. Wow, we went through that really quick. But there's so much we have to go through. The next big chapters, uh, 3 through 9, when we get to chapter 3, it starts off with Jesus' baptism. We get Jesus' baptism. And it's awesome, like, as Jesus gets baptized, we hear the, the voice of God in verse uh, 22. And says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Throughout this book, there's a number of really cool things we see. We see, like, the Spirit coming upon people. We see the Spirit coming upon Mary. We see the Spirit coming upon Elizabeth. We see the Spirit coming upon Zacharias. Um, We see the Spirit coming upon people, and then they respond. We see the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus here. And the other part we see is people asking questions like, Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? Is he not Joseph's son? Is he not? So even here, when people are like, Who is this guy that John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals? A voice from heaven says, This is my son. With you I am well pleased. And that's not cool. Like, I'm not sure like, if we're reading the same book or not. Like, this is God showing up and saying, Hey, this is my son. I am well pleased in him. I think that deserves to be on the wow. That's what I call Luke's best album. Um, in 315, in, um, I'm sorry, um, the next part of, uh, of Luke chapter 3 is we get the genealogy. Finally, here we get the genealogy. Other, other books, they start with the genealogies, but here we get the genealogy. And again, I'm not saying Luke, ha oh, you rock, thank you. Uh, I'm not saying Luke is uh, like obsessive compulsive, but he does a lineage all the way from Jesus all the way back to Adam. So I I've did Ancestry.com, and I was excited with it until I had to pay money, and then I'm like, I'm done. But the free trials are good, but you couldn't, cross, you couldn't go back to Europe anyways. That's where great-great-great-grandpa must live. I don't know. I didn't pay the 1995. But we, we like family trees, and with the Internet, it's much easier. But Luke, like he recorded this, and it goes all the way back. He shows the lineage of this Jesus all the way back, and he makes sure we get King David, we get Abraham, we get Isaac, we get Jacob. And look all the way in verse 38. Uh, and then we get to Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So here, Luke, he's showing this beautiful account, like, okay, this is who Jesus is. Um, and then, like, I'm just imagining, like, the Lion King, like, the circle of life, like, da-da. And then, like, it hits a hard black screen, and the text Lion King pops up. Like, if they were making a movie of, like, the book of Luke, like, this is where, like, boom, boom, Luke would need to pop up. Because it's just, like, this is, this is him. Buckle up, because for the next um, 16, or the next 20 chapters, we're going to be unpacking who this guy is. So we get this beautiful genealogy, and it goes all the way back to uh, Adam, the son of God. Now, thinking back to one of our key things we said, um, the narratives of the things that have been accomplished among us, or fulfilled among us, well, why does it matter that Adam is in here. Well, one cool reason why Adam is in here, if we think in Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15, we get the promise of the serpent crusher, the the seed of the woman that's going to come and ultimately crush the head of the serpent um, and undo the curse of sin. 
we get this line, here's Jesus, oh, and he's connected directly to, to all the other prophecies about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, but also we get that he's connected to Adam and is the one that they've been waiting for for about 4,000 years to show up. Pretty cool. Uh, further down, <coughs> excuse me, further down um, in uh, chapter 5, spoiler, we see that Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man, that's a phrase we see um, about 25 times throughout, throughout this gospel, is the Son of Man, showing the humanity and divinity of Christ. So that's another thing. As you're reading, circle that, highlight it, find it. Like, they're in there for a reason. Cool. Chapter 4. Okay. Wow, that's what I call Luke. Okay. Uh, the beginning of his earthly ministry. So we see Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. Yes, he goes out into the wilderness and is tempted, but... When he comes back, look with me in verses 18, um, 18, 19. Jesus, after being in the wilderness, he comes back from, um, from being in the wilderness. He ultimately um, shows up in Nazareth at the synagogue, um, and he gets a scroll and reads from it these words. Verses 18 and 19. So he reads the scroll of Isaiah Um, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and this is what he says, what Jesus is quoting. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, for the recovery of the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the ascendant, attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Almost one of the first mic drop moments in the, in the Bible here. Jesus, he, he reads this scripture, and there's, there's some key things. Like, when Jesus is saying this, and, and he further goes down um, in verse 21, says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a very bold claim. <laughs> That's a very bold claim. Like, hey, the, um, the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news, set people free, um, and yeah, oh yeah, this is accomplished in me. I'm, I'm the one that's bringing this about. No, Jesus, of course, is not saying it with that arrogance or attitude, but he's saying it just with that confidence. Like, it, it's good for you guys to hear this. Like, I am the one who has come to fulfill this. Well, Again, this is setting up what Jesus is going to be doing so much in this book. He's proclaiming good news to the poor. He's proclaiming good news to the poor. He has, um, he has come to set those who are oppressed free. Now, when Isaiah, is, when Isaiah was told by God, uh, when Isaiah wrote this, it was talking about Israel at that time, how they were under, um, there was the captivity, like the Assyrians had recently done some bad stuff. The Babylonians were, were, causing, were causing problems. There was all this um, political, internal corruption with the kings of Israel at the time. There was all this corruption uh, and sin happening. And Jesus here is quoting it, saying, I am coming. The Lord has appointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor. To, set li- to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set those set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so what Jesus is going to be doing, again, for the next uh, 20 chapters, 
we're going to be seeing this. Luke is telling Theophilus, this is what Jesus is going to be doing. Here's this orderly account. Okay, this, this descendant from Adam, this, here's the lineage. Here's how he was born. Here's where he grew up. And now this is him beginning his ministry and what he's going to be doing in his ministry. Oh yeah, and remember in chapter 3, and he's the son of God and God's approving of him. That's, that's where we're beginning. So over kind of 4 through 9, Jesus keeps welcoming outsiders into the family. Those who are oppressed, those who are poor, those who are outside. Jesus is welcoming the outsiders in. Jesus is welcoming the outsiders in. Meaning those who are outside the kingdom, those who are sin, those who are oppressed. Jew and Gentile. He is welcoming them in. He is welcoming them in. Some of the first people Jesus welcomes in are his disciples. And in chapter 5, we get the first disciples, and they are definitely outsiders. We, get, um, we have a fisherman and a tax collector, not necessarily the, the, the hit team of, of people you would call to follow you. In chapter 5, we see Jesus calling his first disciples to follow him. Um, in chapter 5, verse 24, this is where we get the first use of the Son of Man. This is where we get the first use of the Son of Man. Um, and this is where Jesus, I love this story. This is where Jesus, he heals the paralytic man. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Again, an incredible claim. And the people are like, only God can forgive sins. And we as readers can be like, yeah, duh. He's like, is it easier for me to say, get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? Like, I can do it with one breath. And in verse, chapter 5, verse 24, we get that first use of this word. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he say to the man, get up, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose from before them. He picked up um, what he had been laying on and went home, glorifying God. There's another thing we see frequently. The Spirit coming upon people and them glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, the crowd there. And they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Jesus, on his, as he's doing his ministry, as he's on his mission, we see that people are glorifying God and that he is forgiving sins and healing those who are outside Again, chapter 6, moving on. Chapter 6, we see like in there we have like the Beatitudes. And here we begin to see this upside-down kingdom, as many theologians and Bible uh, scholars call it. Why is it upside-down kingdom? Well, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are normally not blessed. Happy are those who are this thing that's normally not associated with happiness. Look with me in uh, chapter 6, verse 20. says, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Setting those who are poor. Um, Blessed are you who are hungry, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spur your name as evil on um, on account of the Son of Man. There it is again. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And behold, your reward is great in heaven. For your fathers did to, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then he goes on, but he says, but woe to the rich. 
Woe to those who are full. Woe to those who laugh. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Again, there's this upside-down kingdom. Jesus is challenging them to, like, making sure that people are that people are examining their hearts and that if you are a part of his kingdom, you will be comforted. There is great reward for those who are a part of Jesus' Jesus's family, those who are in, and those who think, oh, we got it. Woe to you guys. Just check yourself. Check yourself. Chapter 7, again, greatest hits. Um, chapter 7, we see another outsider welcomed in. This is, uh, many of us are probably familiar with this, but there's a centurion who comes up and says, I have a, a servant who is sick. I have a servant who is sick. Um, can you come? He says, I know that I have men that I can command. And when he, he says, I, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just say the words. And look what Jesus says about this man in uh, verse 9. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Just speak the words. And and in verse 9, Jesus says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, this Roman centurion, this very much outsider, and turning to the crowd that was following him, says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus is influencing outsiders in such a way that even those who are outside are seeing the need for Jesus. And Jesus is like, this outsider, this non-Jew, this Roman, this guy who is military, has causing military oppression on our people in Israel, he has more faith in me than anyone I've seen in Israel that's been looking for the prophets, that have been reading the prophets and looking for this Messiah. I've not seen such faith. And he welcomes him in. In the same chapter, Jesus forgives a woman, another outsider, brings them in. Um, there's the woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. And there's the rich, the Pharisees that were around him, saying, cast this woman out, tell her to leave. And, but Jesus, softly, gently, in verse 48, does the very opposite. He actually says, your sins are forgiven. We again see Jesus welcoming in this outsider. We're, we don't know this woman's situation. A number of people have written about why maybe she was, um, this, her situation. But regardless of that, Jesus saw her and saw her heart and welcomed this outsider in. When the rest of the people at that place were wanting to cast her out, go back to where you belong, go to the shadows, go to the alleys, go back to wherever it is you came from. And Jesus says, no, your sins are forgiven. In orderly accounts, you can have confidence in the things that you have been taught. Jesus welcomes in, welcomes in outsiders. One of the things I said that keeps getting asked is, people keep asking Jesus, who is this guy? Well, in chapter 8, we get the, the famous story. Many of us probably have learned this one when we were in Sunday school um, or in children's church. But Jesus, he calms the storm. There's this great storm, and Jesus calms it. And I love, I love that the disciples, um, the disciples in uh, verse 25 of chapter 8, they, they just turn to each other and says, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? 
I have a tiny little sailboat, a 12-foot sailboat, um, and I, I, like to, I, I like to go sailing. And we've been on Rocky Gap, tiny lake. You can almost stand up in the middle of it in places, it seems like. Um, and when the wind hits you just right, like that boat will really, because it leans, it'll really lean. And one time Eric and I, we were on it, and we, water came over the side. And it was, it, it was a little bit scary, although we could have just like swam to shore. We were close. But I could just imagine being in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, miles from shore, in a, in a boat that's being like pummeled by giant waves. We just had wind. Wind and waves. And all of a sudden, Eric gets up and goes, stop! And it stop. I'd be like, what manner of man is this that's in my boat? It's also interesting that they're forgetting everything else that has happened up to this. Like they've seen paralyzed people get up and walk. They've seen Jesus do other miracles. But they're like, who is this that even commands the winds and the waves? cool thing? Like, the wind and the waves obey him? Because this is the same voice that said, peace be still, is the same voice that said, let there be. They recognize their owner. They recognize their creator. That's pretty cool. Well, so who is this Jesus? It's also funny in chapter 8, Jesus, as this boat crosses, and they go from Galilee, they go to like the next country, um, Gerasenes, which is Adjacent, so they're outside of the promised land. They're outside, and they're, when they get there, there's um, a, a demon. There's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. When they get there, there's a demon there, and um, and when Jesus shows up, listen to what, how this demon addresses Jesus. In verse 28, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice saying, "What?" Have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The disciples are like, who is this guy? When the demons, when this demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he instantly knew who this guy was. Jesus hadn't said anything. He just showed up, and he knew who Jesus was. Luke, in the book of Luke, and in, when he writes Acts, he puts these wonderful juxtapositions, these two stories next to each other of like, oh man, you better not do this and do this. In the book of Acts, one of the best examples is like um, early on when everyone was giving to the church and they were giving, and then you get Ananias and Sapphira who lied and then they died. Like Luke puts these like stories right beside each other, like, who is this Jesus that commands even the wind and the waves? And then you get a demon, like, this is Jesus, the Son of God. It's also cool, at the end of this story, many times when Jesus would do a miracle, whether it was healing somebody, um, he would frequently tell, hey, don't, don't tell, don't tell them it was me. Well, here, this demon-possessed man, after Jesus commands the demon out of him, um, after he commands the demons out of him, um, look in verse 38. And the man uh, whom the demons had, go- uh, had gone from begged that he might may be able to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And then he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Here, for whatever reason, Jesus is outside the, la- the land and tells this outsider, non-Jew, this outsider, not from the family of Abraham, says, Go and tell others how much God has done for you. And this man goes off and begins telling. Who knows? Like, we, we don't know. Luke doesn't follow that guy's origin story anymore. Um, or his journey. We do have his origin story. Not his story anymore. Like, I wonder who he told. 
I wonder what he prepared. So after Pentecost, whenever the disciples went out, like who was already ready? But look how much God has done for you. In chapter 9, we get the, the feeding of the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and there are, um, and in this teaching, we, we get the detail um, that there was leftovers. There's, there's leftovers, and that there were 12 baskets of broken pieces. Again, this just further shows that Luke loves the details. <laughs> An orderly account, I'll even tell you how much leftovers there are. Um, Thanksgiving's coming up, one of the greatest meals of the year for many of us, and my, my cousin, before she was married, she would go to my grandmother's house and bring her matching Tupperware sets, cottage cheese and butter bowls, because she was ready to go home with leftovers um, at Thanksgiving. Leftovers weren't a thing uh, in, like, the first century. Like, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, like, that was a real prayer. So the fact that there were leftovers, these people had, Jesus did a miracle, and they were filled. They were filled. He includes that cool detail in there. The second part of chapter 9, um, we get the transfiguration. We get the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, Jesus, he goes up on, on a mountain, okay, with uh, Peter, James, and John, like his three close disciples. They go up, and this is an incredible event, and I'm just going to just, like, poke it because we can't spend too much time on it today. Come back in um, a year, and we'll probably be there. Um, some of you got it. Okay. Now, again, there's this question of who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Well, he's up there, and all of a sudden, they go up on a mountain. They see um, Moses and Elijah. They show up there. Um, there were these, uh, their clothing became dazzling white. Jesus is dazzling white. There's this cloud, thick cloud, surrounding all, all of them. Um, and then, in verse 34... And as he was saying these things to them, um, a cloud came down and overshadowed them, uh, and they were afraid to ent- as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Again, who is this Jesus? Who is this that commands the wind? Who is this that casts out demons? Who is this that... This is the son of God. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Also, this, beautiful, this story beautifully, beautifully, beautifully um, parallels what Moses did after he had led the, led the captive Israelites out of Egypt, goes up Mount Sinai. He goes up on a mountain. A cloud descends upon it. People are terrified about this cloud. He's like, hey, don't even touch the mountain or you guys will die. Um, Moses telling the Israelites. And God speaks with him. And when Moses comes down, his face is so dazzling white, he has to wear a veil over his face because people were so freaked out about glowing Moses. Well, here we have people going up a hill, up a mountain, a cloud descending upon it. Moses is there again, along with Elijah. And Jesus and Jesus is transformed, the transfiguration And Peter, James, and John got to see this, got to hear this voice. Just as Moses led the Israelites out of captivity, Jesus is preparing to lead the Israelites and all people out of captivity, out of the bondage, and to proclaim liberty to those who had been oppressed. That's what Luke's pointing to. That's what Luke is showing Theophilus. Like, you can believe it, man. You can believe it, Theophilus. Here's the details of how it happened. You can believe it. It is true. 
and it is certain. So now, as Jesus has gone through his, um, his early ministry, like, like we said, chapters 10 through 19 are on the, the road to Jerusalem. This is where we get a lot of the, the teachings of Jesus. There's kind of a couple things we see. We see a lot of parables. We see a lot of parables in this section uh, in two important meals. There's two important meals. So in chapter 11, we get like the parable or the teaching on, on how to pray. We get the Lord's Prayer. Um, in chapter 12, we get a lot of um, parables and teachings on wealth, about the rich man and the fool, and um, not to be anxious, but, but in trusting in God. We get a lot of the parables, a lot of the teachings um, on prayer, on wealth in there. Um, there's two parables that are only recorded in the book of Luke, the parable, parable of the prodigal son uh, and the parable of the good Samaritan. These are only found in Luke. Again, outsiders being brought in. We have the son who goes away. I don't want anything to do with you, father. Just give me my money. Goes away and ultimately comes back and his father welcomes him back. An outsider brought in. The good Samaritan. We see that there are the Levite and the priest and those who walk around the, the poor person, the person that has been taken captive, that has been oppressed and beaten. And we see the Samaritan, the outsider, is the one who's loving. Jesus is bringing outsiders in. Jesus is for all people. There's, there's so many more. Again, these are just the wow, the greatest hits. And then there's two, two meals. And again, I like how Luke kind of compares and contrasts things. Um, in chapter 11, we get the meal with the Pharisee. Pharisees and lawyers, Jesus is sitting down and having a meal with them. Um, and in chapter 11, verse 42, it says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe your mint and your rue in every, uh, in every herb and neglect the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walking, uh, and people walk all over them without knowing it. And he goes on to, to criticize the lawyers and the rich. And so Jesus here is saying, like, you guys who are supposed to be loving, those who are supposed to be shepherding, those who are supposed to be guiding those um, of Israel and keeping their people and keeping them to the covenants of, of Moses, you guys aren't. You guys aren't. You're, you're putting all these burdens on people. You're stealing from them. You're, you're, you're doing all these things that you should not do. Woe to you. Well, then later, we get a meal that looks incredibly different. Right before Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he stops in a town called Jericho and meets a very small man. A wee little man, was he? Meets Zacchaeus. And through that story, we see Zacchaeus. He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. And at the end of that story, we see um, Zacchaeus, when he realizes his sin, when he realizes what he has done, again, tax collectors, not the best people in the world, um, pretty much had zero friends in that time, except for the ones they'd, they'd buy. And when Zacchaeus realizes his sin, when he realizes who Jesus is through this meal that they have together, that the insiders at the time didn't like, 
he gives away in verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, there it is again, came to seek and to save the lost. I came to seek and to save the lost. The Pharisees, the lawyers, they're serving themselves. But I came to serve others. I came to seek and to save the lost. And so we get these two meals that just beautifully uh, contrast each other. Beautifully contrast each other. And are showing what Jesus is doing. Now Jesus makes his triumphant entry. So we've gone from Christmas, we're now at Easter. Okay? Some of you, we'll we'll see you at those two times of the year. Um, Jesus, he makes his final entry into Jerusalem. This is his triumphant entry in in 19, and we get all the prophecy about him riding in on a colt and um, all the beautiful things around that. And he makes his triumphant entry, and the crowds are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And unfortunately, we know seven days later, many of those people in the same crowd were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He makes his triumphant entry, and one of the first things he does when he enters in is he cleans out the temple. He cleanses the temple. There were people there that were money-changing, and there was all this exploitation going on at the temple. And Jesus comes in and casts all these people out. Why? So that those who were poor can now dwell with God. Those who could not afford all the, the exchanges of buying these animals and doing all this stuff, they can now come and worship God rightly. So Jesus removes the sin, removes the corruption that is in his father's house, removes it so that people can worship him. Jesus gets into a lot of uh, tense conversations um, in this week, people questioning him and asking him all kinds of tough questions or uh, accusations. And then in uh, chapter 21, Jesus, he foretells the destruction uh, of the temple. He foretells the destruction of the temple, and people get really worked up about this, as they should. Like, they love this temple. This is, this is what separates them from many of the other, uh, every other city in the world, but many other nations. Like, this is, this is the temple of God. This is the rebuilt temple. of Sol- This is Solomon's temple that we have rebuilt after the great Babylon exile. Like, who are you to come in and say it's going to be destroyed? Who are you to say it's to be destroyed? And then it's, it's kind of hard to find nice spots without just... Um, so just chapters 22 and 23, just kind of putting these together, we get the Passover, his arrest, and crucifixion. Jesus, he goes up and shares the Passover meal, the Last Supper with his disciples, and there's all the, um, we get the institution of the Lord's Supper here. We get some of the, uh, the fighting among them. But in here, we also, um, but in here we see that Scripture is being fulfilled, that Jesus is the promised one. The one that was, the, the one, let me try that again. That he is the promised one, the one that they've been waiting for. And with his crucifixion, with his crucifixion, when Jesus, 
says here on the cross, like, today you'll be with me in paradise, as he tells it to the, the thief on the cross. And, and in verse um, 46 of chapter 23, um, we see that Jesus says, Father's into your, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And saying this, he gave up his last breath. The next verse is beautiful. Like these people who are outside, that who is this Jesus? There was the centurion, a different one, we assume. When he was probably stationed by the cross, when he saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Truly, this man was innocent. Even at Jesus' death, outsiders are realizing Jesus is who he said he is. Outsiders being brought in, like this was the Son of God. I mean, God has told us he's the Son of God. At his baptism, at the transfiguration, um, uh, there's been multiple times where even demons said, this is the Son of God. And now we have centurions that as Jesus has died on the cross, people that are outside, opposed, seem to have been opposed, said, this man was innocent. This man was innocent. Chapter 24, we get uh, Easter morning. We get the resurrection of Jesus. We get, um, and, and here, Luke, um, his account is a little different than others. It's kind of just, they went to the tomb, the, a group of women. It, he doesn't give specific names right away. But later on, he talks about how, in verse 10, how Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them, and they came and told the apostles. So he includes the women that were there. And I love, in, I love in verses uh, 5 through 8, when they show up, and as they were frightened, they bowed their, there was these, sorry, um, two men showed up in dazzling appearance. We, we believe these to be angels. And um, in verse 5, they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. Don't you remember all he said, the things that were going to be fulfilled? Yeah, they've been fulfilled. They've been fulfilled. You can have certainty the things you have been taught. Jesus said it, and it has happened. You can know for certain. We get another thing that's only in Luke, and it's this beautiful, playful account of Jesus on his road to Emmaus. Um, the road to Emmaus. And here Jesus um, and two of the disciples, well, two of the disciples, <clears throat> they, were, they were walking, uh, and Jesus buddies up with them, like, hey, where are you guys going? Why do you guys look so sad? And somehow Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has disguised himself, um, has hid his appearance from them. And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know? Well, tell me this story. Tell me about this Jesus. And he tell, they tell him the story um, about how he's been crucified and he's dead and game over. I've just wasted the last three years of my life. Why did I get a bachelor's in arts? Ugh. Ugh. It gets better. It gets better, college guys. Um, and so, but then Jesus is like, wait, wait, wait. And so Jesus, he lays out through scripture, he tells them the story, um, and 11 verse 27 there, it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them um, from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
Jesus tells them the story about all the things that this Jesus was to fulfill. He's like, I could just imagine, like, well, wasn't he said he was going to die and rise again? Yeah. Well, and didn't, um, wasn't there someone promised um, that there was about a perfect sacrifice? Yeah. And, and then at the end, after they'd walked seven miles and Jesus having this conversation with them, Jesus reveals himself to them and then disappears. And then it says, and at once they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they, it took them seven, they did a seven mile walk with Jesus and then they see it and then they do like a seven mile sprint back um, just to tell Jesus or just to tell the others what they had happened. The Lord Jesus has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road that he was uh, known to them in the breaking of the bread. Lastly, lastly, as Luke started off saying, this is the fulfillment. This is the narrative of the things that have been accomplished among you. An orderly account so that you can know for certain the things that have been accomplished. Okay, so why should we trust Luke? Well, one, he's, he's taken the time, he's put in the work, he's taken great care, he's investigated, uh, and his account matches up with other scripture. He's not making a new, like, Luke's version. No, Luke's account matches up with the other narratives, um, which is really important when we're considering scripture. But even Jesus himself reminds them that this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is the thing that had been accomplished to you. <clears throat> in Luke 24, 44 through 49, Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus, he appears to the disciples and he's about to ascend, about to leave them. <clears throat> These are my words that I've spoke to you while I was still with you. I've told you guys this. Everything that was written about me in the law of Moses, everything that the prophets were looking forward to, as the Psalms have said, it has been fulfilled in me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Jesus says, This is the fulfillment. It also says, Jesus, it opened their minds. For the first time, they were able to understand scriptures properly. You're to proclaim my name to all people. All people. Not just Israel. He says, like, you're going to be my people in all the earth. Not just here. Not just in Jerusalem. Not just the zip code. Not just to the, the circumcision. But to all people. Proclaim my name to all nations. Beginning here and going out. He says, and I'm going to help you. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. If you remember back to to our beginning passage in in Luke 4, he has come to proclaim, proclaim good news, set free those who are oppressed, 
He gave, Luke has given us a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. That you can have certainty that you and I, sitting here today, that Theophilus, sitting, um, sitting and reading this, this work 2,000 years ago, could have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. As we are going through the next, couple, uh, next several months, years, looking at this, we want you to have certainty in the things you have been taught. There's many false things that have been said about Jesus, but we want to show you. Joe, the elders, myself, we want to show you for certainty the things you have been taught, so you can know for certain the things that have been accomplished among us. And so that's why we're beginning this series. That's why we're beginning this Gospel of Luke and seeing that Jesus is for all people. And I hope today and for the next many, 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 many weeks that you will say, wow, that's what I call Luke. Let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this, this morning. I know we've, <laughs> we've looked at a lot. And I hope we saw you. God, I hope we, we, that people listening saw you and are excited to see you as we look at these words that have been written down for our good and your glory. Father, as we prepare our hearts for a time of communion, May we proclaim your life, your death, and resurrection. And thank you for this symbol that we're about to partake in together. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again. And may the Lord bless your week.